Welcome to Beyond the Reiki Gateway with Reiki Masters Kathleen Johnson and Andrea Kennedy. This podcast is sponsored by listeners just like you through donations. Links to help support our all-volunteer effort are in the show notes and also on our website, beyondthereikigateway.com. And now it is time to begin our journey together, Beyond the Reiki Gateway. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Reiki Gateway. This is Kathleen Johnson, and I'm here with my co-host, Andrea Kennedy. Today's episode is about animal Reiki. Now, that's a really big subject, and we're going to break it down for you as best we can. And there's going to be something for everyone in this episode, whether you're a Reiki practitioner or just an animal lover or a pet parent, or anyone who cares about the animals in our lives. We'll be talking about what exactly is animal Reiki. We'll be discussing our own experiences with it over the years. Also, what we've learned from those experiences in working with animals. We'll also be diving into animal communications and Reiki, and how we've come to know that effectively communicating with animals provides a wonderful, optimal benefit for them, whether or not it's in a Reiki session. We'll also be giving you some helpful tips to communicate more effectively with your own animals or any animals in your life. So at the end of this, we hope you can take away some practical advice for better relationships and communication with the pets in your life every day. So sit back and enjoy as we travel once again beyond the Reiki Gateway. You're right about that, Kathleen. This is a really big topic. And I'm excited, though, to dive in and share some of our personal stories, which I always love to hear those from practitioners. So as we get started, let's just talk about what animal Reiki is. Is it really different than Reiki for people? How would you answer that basic question? That's a great question, and I think probably many people would like to know the answer to that. Animal Reiki is exactly what it sounds like. It's offering and sharing Reiki with the animals in our lives, or those in the wild, or honestly, any animal anywhere. So it's a matter of simply channeling the energy of Reiki from the practitioner to the designated animal through the power of intention and the Reiki energy. And I know when we offer Reiki to people, permission is a pretty big deal. And uh, from your perspective, is that part of animal Reiki too? Well, it's definitely a part of my animal Reiki sessions, Andrea. I always, always request permission from the animal before I begin to channel Reiki. And what's interesting is when I first broach this to the pet parent, as I'll call them, or the human of the animal, I will always tell them that I'm going to ask permission prior to beginning the session. And many people are very taken aback by that. They're surprised. Like, why would you do that? And my answer is because the animal has the right to make that decision whether to accept the energy or not. After all, when we have pets, and I know you have pets, Andrea, I do too. I've had them for years. I'm an activist for animal welfare. I love animals of all shapes and sizes and types. But when we have pets in our mm -hmm. home, when we live with them, 
we pretty much control everything about their lives, don't we? What they eat, when they eat, when they go out, yes. when they go to sleep at night, when they get up, et cetera, et cetera. When they go to the vet, what kind of medicine to take? I mean, I think you get the picture. So we control so much of their lives. But I think when it comes to something like Reiki, it's important to allow the animal to make that decision. Because most animals, in my experience, are very welcoming for the energy. It seems they intuitively know that it's good for them. But there are some that are hesitant. And there's the occasional one that will flat out refuse it. So I think it's important to ask the animal if this is okay. So typically what I do is simply connect with the animal's energy, and I will silently say, may I share Reiki with you today? And I always get an answer, whether it's um, a word or an expression or just a feeling in my gut, but I know whether it's a yes or a no. So yeah, I think it's really important. And I don't know that all animal Reiki practitioners use this, and that's okay. But I do know that for me, permission is a very big part of it. And I couldn't agree more, Kathleen. You know, I think permission is vital for the reasons that you stated. And people might be surprised that they could give permission. But animals have intelligence, and they are often our teachers, which we'll probably talk more about later in the episode. But one really quick example of an animal saying no was just recently I was at a farm, and when I went out there to meet the animals and to perhaps offer Reiki to some of the different species there, I met a horse. And the people who were there on the farm, there were several of them, they were very interested in what I was going to do. They were new to Reiki and also curious, of course, as many new people are, and they wanted to watch what I was going to do. So we all went out to the barn. I approached him slowly and I just intended, like you said, to sort of connect to him. And I asked about offering Reiki. A lot happened just in about 30 seconds. He maneuvered his body from me seeing his head to me seeing his rear end. He then lifted his tail and he let out a little wind. And I thought, hmm, that's pretty obvious. I just don't think he's into Reiki today. They can be very clear about if they are accepting or not. And so I immediately was like, thank you very much, and explained to the people there that, you know, he's not into this right now, and that's okay. When I inquired with this horse as to the reason, and it wasn't really a hard question, it was just more kind of like a wondering in my mind. He was not shy. He just basically let me know through... I guess telepathic communication. I know that sounds pretty woo-woo, but it's a natural way that we communicate with animals. He let me know that he felt put upon and that he was just minding his own business, doing what he normally does. And here, a group of people came around him with no notice and then were asking him to participate in something kind of out of the blue. 
And he just wasn't feeling it. He didn't want to be the object of all of this attention in that way. So he let me know very clearly. So that's just one quick example. <laughs> well, you've given me a really good laugh today. That, that is hilarious. <laughs> and you're right that the horse's answer right. could not have been more clear. I mean, <laughs> oh, that's a good one. On, oh, yeah. That's never happened yeah. to me. I, I can't say yeah. an animal has ever broken wind to tell me no, but <laughs> you knew what the answer was, though, didn't you? Absolutely. And with that clarity, what a gift that is as a practitioner, because, you know, we don't want to guess. So he did me a great favor. And it was a teachable moment, right? And I got to explain that to the people that were normally taking care of him. And they appreciated that. And they had a good chuckle about it as well. So whether we're doing distant sessions or in-person sessions, absolutely consent or permission is the top of the priority. Just to circle back on something that you mentioned a moment ago, the fact that we determine so much about the routine and uh, the appropriate time to do this or that in our animals' lives. It's so, so true. And as we begin to share about our own experiences offering Reiki to animals, what I can say and I'd love to hear from your experience if you've seen this as well, but an imbalance at the throat chakra is what I would often see in my animal clients because the communication with their people wasn't open. It was blocked up. So often the animals were trying to get messages across to their people, but the people just weren't receiving them. And so there would often be an energetic imbalance I would find at the throat chakra. Have you had that experience too, Kathleen? Yes, I have. You touched on this earlier, Andrea. You mentioned something about animals have intelligence and, of course, they're sentient beings. And I think something we tend to forget or maybe don't even know until a certain point is that they pick up on their humans' emotions and feelings. They are often a mirror for our emotions. So we have to keep that in mind when we're dealing with them. Animals can be so wonderful for us when we're experiencing hardship or stress because they seem to intuitively know what to do to comfort us and make us feel better. But at the same time, they're trying to communicate with us in their own way. And if we're not open to that communication, that communication for them gets stuck. It gets stifled. And what you said about the throat chakra is something I've experienced as well. When I first started doing animal Reiki, I initially thought it was about maybe there was a problem, a physical problem in the throat area. Uh, but that turned out to be generally not the case. And I learned over time, you know, experience teaches us a lot, that it had more to do with the frustration and the lack of communication that the animal was feeling. So that kind of brings us into what we wanted to talk about anyway, um, animal communication. To me, it's an integral part of channeling Reiki for the animal and I think you would agree with me on that, Andrea. I absolutely would, Kathleen. Absolutely. And I'd like to share, I actually started 
with animals way back in the day when I was drawn to begin to offer Reiki outside of my family and friends, and of course, my own animals in my own home, I was very much guided to work with animals. And so I started volunteering at my local veterinarian, and that's where we took our animals. And it was a wonderful opportunity. I was so grateful to be there. And I remember when I first sat down with an animal there, and I discovered communication. It was there. It was open. And I was a little bit awestruck. I had no idea how I was doing this. And when you spoke a moment ago about experience being the teacher, oh my goodness, boy, did that really hit home with me. I didn't know what I was doing back then. I think you bring up such a great point that in the beginning, we don't have experience and we're just starting out perhaps, and we don't know a lot, but that's okay. Trust the process. And just remember what you learn along the way. And I think that's super important. And that's one of the reasons I think that we do the podcast and teach classes and things like that is to help people recognize that other people do have experience. And when we share that, oh my goodness, then that helps the new practitioners grow by leaps and bounds because they don't have to figure it all out for themselves in the beginning. They get some help along the way. Anyway, so a little bit of a tangent there, but um, I was communicating with the animals and I tell you, I could not separate the Reiki and the communication. It went together hand in hand every single time. And the stories that I recorded in those days from those sessions are just amazing. And I I was going through my journal last night because I knew we were going to talk about this today and had some wonderful memories of some sessions. Oh, yes. I keep a record of all my sessions, too. I take detailed notes during my sessions, and I always keep those because a lot of the detailed notes, you know, don't make it into the actual report because the report's a little more fine-tuned, but the detailed notes tell me so much, and they honestly recreate the feeling and the energy that I experienced during that session, which I love. So it, it's very helpful for me, and mm-hmm. it'll sometimes bring new insights. And if it does, I will then contact the pet parent or the human and um, let them know that I received another insight if I feel it's appropriate for them to know. When I'm working with animals, it's impossible to separate the two. I did take a course in animal communication earlier this year, but in all honesty, I had been communicating with animals through my Reiki sessions for a number of years, but that course did provide a couple of tools to add to my toolbox that helped me with that communication. Something I want to mention here, we just talked about permission. So, yes, I always ask the animal for permission, and assuming I'm going to get a yes, my next question is, may I communicate with you? Because the pet parents, the humans, they really, really want that to happen, because I ask them about that too. Is that okay if I try to communicate? What I've learned in my experience is that the vast majority of animals are very happy to have Reiki, but I say it's a toss-up with me as far as the ones who want to communicate with me. Some, I'd say about half of them go, oh yeah, sure. I'd say about a quarter of them are going, well, okay, if you have to, that kind of thing. (laughs) And then there's the remaining quarter that go, 
now, not right now. I, I respect that, of course. That's fine. So I try not to ask questions of the animal for fear of just them going, I'm done. <laughs> that is really interesting that you describe it that way. In Confessions of a Animal Reiki Master over here, I don't ask for separate permission for communicating. As I said, I didn't take a class. All I had was regular old human Reiki training, and I was a master at that time. And when I sat down with the animals there, it just happened. And I was there tuned in. And so sometimes the communication would be directly from the animal, like words from them to me. But oftentimes it was different. It was more about intuitively seeing or knowing um, and just being able to access information about them. And so it did not, quite honestly, ever really bubble up in my mind to ask for permission for that aspect of the session. That's I, interesting. I just haven't done that. Oh, that's, that's interesting. It, it really is. Some would be talkative, as I said, and they would write a book to me, basically. And then others really didn't say much at all, except I could still communicate at a deeper level with them. I mean, this would be a question for you. Do you find that you communicate on different levels with them? There's like a personality type conversation that I often have or not. But there always seems to be this deeper conversation that I have with them in the session. Do you have some thoughts on that? Yes, I'm glad you asked me that because I want to make it very clear that even if the animal says, no, I don't really feel like communicating, there is still communication within the Reiki session. It is just a different type. The animal is not into answering mm -hmm. any questions from me. However, as you know, Andrea, having worked with Reiki for a number of years, that information comes in during a Reiki session, information and impressions and insights, whether or not you ask a question. That information, those kinds mm -hmm. of experiences still flow in for me, even if the animal's not really into answering questions. I want to make a distinction there between well, if the animal says no, I don't get anything during the Reiki session, because that is simply not the case. It's just that right. this particular animal wants to chill, not be bothered to answer any questions, just channel the Reiki and leave me alone kind of feeling, right? Right, <laughs> oh. right. So I, I'm glad you asked that question, because I really did want to make that distinction. Thanks for clarifying that. And for anyone out there who is wondering, you know, why don't I get all this during a session? Just keep at it. Just keep practicing. It just gets better and better with experience. Also, don't forget your own self-care. And if you're a Reiki practitioner, of course, self-Reiki. Um, you know, we're always in evolution. So if you want to strengthen your intuition and strengthen your skills as a practitioner, an intuitive or communicating practitioner, just stick with it. Excellent advice, Andrea, as always. It's so true. When I first started working with animals, it was by accident, quote unquote. I was working with one of my human clients. She 
is an animal lover, an activist, and all those things that I can so relate to. And she was telling me about one of her pets who was ill. She said, would you do Reiki on him? I was reluctant. I had been working with people for a while, but I had never really done Reiki on someone else's animal. I gave them to my animals all the time. <laughs> this woman was very nice and I wanted to help her. I was so nervous. I was more nervous about working with this animal than I was with people. But it went beautifully. The animal was great. He was ill and no one knew why. I was able to get a lot of information as to how he was feeling. And this was back before I was doing any kind of deliberate communication or a lot of the experiences that were yet to come. I was going by the seat of my pants at that point. But Reiki came yeah. through, as it always does. And I had so much information about this animal's welfare, what he was thinking, what he may need, those kinds of things. And I shared all that with my client and she was thrilled. So it went beautifully. And after that, I just started to work with animals on a very organic basis, just as they would come up. If someone asked me, I would go, okay, sure. But I have almost always done my sessions via distance for animals. And I know that you do yours mostly in person, which is interesting. So you and I have very different experiences in that regard. And perhaps we can talk a bit about that and the differences and what we've each learned from that. That would be fun. Yeah, when I first started, as I said, I started with animals and I was afraid of offering people Reiki. Animals seemed more safe for me. And it sounds like you were a little bit opposite there, which I find just fascinating and fun. You know, there's no right way, right? I started volunteering there and nobody knew that I was there. I started having all of the animals being brought to me from the staff at the veterinarian's office. And then word spread and then more came and more came. And what I wanna do is just let you know the benefits of seeing an animal in person. And then we'll lead into distant sessions because I love distant sessions with animals now, but in the beginning I started in person. And some really neat aspects of that is just being with the animal. You know, they're so wonderful. And to be with them and pet them and get to know them in person is really special. Also, I would meet with their person. Uh, one thing I want to point out, and I've noticed you as you were talking so far in the episode, we don't use the word owner in response to the caretaker of the animal. I noticed that with you and probably for the same reason I don't either, just energetically doesn't feel right. Right. I respect animals. There are equals. They are not less than people. That's right. And I think that kind of goes back to when you mentioned how people could be really surprised that you would ask permission of the animal. I think that stems from a general belief, at least with some people, that animals are sub par or right. less than people. Agreed. And I think we honor the animals as equals when we ask permission. They are our equals. They're our teachers. They are wise and wonderful. 
So I would get to meet with the person, uh, with the animal. They would bring their animal in, and we would discuss what's going on. It might be behavioral, perhaps house training, perhaps barking or digging or, you know, whatever it is. Sometimes it was different. Sometimes they didn't get along with other animals in the household. There are so many different issues that are related to animals. So I would talk to them for a few minutes, and then the person would go off on their way, and I would take the animal with me. We'd go downstairs there at the office, and we'd meet in a comfy little room and have Reiki music playing in the background. It was very posh and wonderful, I must say. And uh, I would sit down there with them, and I'd conduct the session. And it was nice to just be alone with that animal And the advantage there is that you'll often get visible clues for consent or permission, as I described about the horse. So an animal that is accepting Reiki gives permission. We might get that intuitively, but if you're in person, those cues could be an excitement walking towards you, sitting on your lap licking your hands, all of these kinds of things could be a yes. Avoidance or, you know, trying to leave the room is a no, right? Observation comes into play when you're in person with an animal, and that can be a helpful key. However, I do want to say distance has great advantages. And so I'll turn it over to you, Kathleen. What are some of the advantages that you think are pretty important with animal distance Reiki? Well, for me, Andrea, working with animals via distance has been basically the only way I have done my animal Reiki sessions. I recently wrote an article about this, the advantages of distant Reiki for animals, which has appeared in the most recent edition of Reiki News Magazine. In that article, I discuss my experience when I tried to work with animals in person at a shelter. Now, keeping in mind that I am a highly sensitive person, sometimes painfully so, for me, working in the shelter that way created this cascade of unbearable emotions for me. As I began to channel the energy to the shelter animals, I could feel everything they were feeling, their anger, their grief, uh, their fear, their sadness, all of those things. And to the point where It knocked the breath out of me. I was just overcome and I had to leave. I absolutely had to leave. So I went home. I was very shaken by that and I didn't understand what was going on with me. I thought, what is wrong with you? I calmed myself Mm. down. I sat in meditation for a while and I was looking for answers. What just happened? The energy of Reiki told me that because of my uniquely sensitive nature. It would be far better for me, as well as for the animals, to work with them via remote. And they needed to tell me that in a very unmistakable way, in a way that I could not ignore. Well, they succeeded because I had no desire to repeat that experience. It was very painful, very upsetting, and message was received, that's for sure. So from that time on, all my sessions with animals have been by a distance. 
And that's why Reiki basically guided me to that through that very traumatic experience. So over the years, as I've worked with animals via remote, I have learned about quite a few advantages of working with them that way. One of them is, first of all, the animals in familiar surroundings. It's at home. In the vast majority of cases, it's in Mm -hmm. its home or in a place where it feels very comfortable. And that then makes the animal more receptive to receiving the energy, more likely to say, yes, I'm open to this, of course. And also, the animal's human is in familiar surroundings, their home. And they're with their animal, they can see what's happening, or even if they're at work, I certainly tell them my experience and things like that during the session. But the human is comfortable too. They don't have to travel, say, if the animal is sick or traumatized in some way. They don't have to pack up the animal and travel to see me. Just leave him or her at home and let the Reiki come to the animal. And I have found that the animals are so much more relaxed and responsive under those circumstances. And the convenience for the animal's caregiver is perfect. I mean, so many clients have told me, this is great. I don't have to drive anywhere. I don't have to pack up Fluffy or Spot or Fido. (laughs) This is great. It also expands the reach because I have animal clients all over the country right now. I couldn't do that if we were seeing them in person, obviously. So it really does expand the reach of Reiki. And that's something else the energy has taught me, that in today's world, The need for healing is so great, not just for humanity, but for the animals who share this planet with us. They have a need for healing, too, because think of all the the trauma and the drama that they are going through through these tumultuous times. So being able to offer Reiki to even more animals through the power of distant Reiki becomes a a wonderful blessing and a gift. From that vantage point, it's great. And finally, speaking for myself, it provides a buffer for people like myself, people who identify as highly sensitive or empaths or empathic, people who really are very porous, to use the term one of my teachers uses, where the energy just comes in and once it's there, it's hard to get out. It provides a wonderful buffer. I'm still able to connect with the animal, I think sometimes on an even deeper level, because I don't have all those emotions bopping around in my head and feeling them all around me. I can have a little bit of distance, literally, where I can focus on the animal and the needs of the animal without thinking, oh my gosh, this is just overpowering. I take myself out of the equation and I'm able to just focus on Reiki and the animal. So for me, those are the best advantages. And I'm so glad that Reiki guided me to it. I wish they would have chosen a less painful way to do so. (laughs) But we don't always have the option of that now, do we? No, we don't. But clarity for you in that situation, it never made you question that again. And that is really so valuable. I can really appreciate your examples, too, because I not only had clients bring in their animals to me at the vet's office, there were times where I did house calls and I would go to the home 
with the animal there. And quite honestly, there were times I was just uncomfortable to be in somebody else's space and to be in that new environment. And there I am immersed in their energy. And now I need to focus on this dog or cat and I might be brand new to them. So as a practitioner, I found that quite challenging to do. And what I will also share, another thing to consider about in-person sessions is safety, safety for the animal and safety for the practitioner. And I have a couple of examples that I can share. I was so over my head in this first example. I was so blessed and excited and honored that there were people there that would bring their animals to me. And so I was so agreeable about everything and so relaxed. And I just thought everything was so awesome about the whole experience. But I remember there was this one dog that came in and I ended up seeing this dog many, many times. But in the beginning, I didn't know any better. And I went downstairs with this dog. She was a big dog. And I let the leash go because we had all that space to ourselves, I let the leash go in the room. This particular dog had been abused severely by her previous owner. And I'm going to say owner in that respect, because I think that kind of sums up that relationship that she had with that person. And she became fearful for some reason right after we got down there and I let the leash go. It was frightening. She became very aggressive and I didn't know what to do. I panicked and I put a barrier between her and myself, a half door, so that we were both safe. And I was shaking and I thought, what do I do? So I was very much out of my depth and it was something I had not considered. Mm -hmm. Safety, which is hugely important for them as well as me. I ended up running upstairs and I enlisted the help of a vet tech. And she came downstairs because they handle animals all across the spectrum, animals that have difficulty being at the vet and in all kinds of situations. So I enlisted her help and she completely took charge. We got the animal actually back upstairs and we put the dog in a nice kennel. And then I sat outside the kennel door and then I did the session and we were both so much more comfortable. And that's how I continued to see this particular dog. But what a lesson in safety when you're with an animal. Oh, yes. That is a great example. And I can imagine how frightening that was for you. Again, it brings me back to another advantage of doing distant work because the safety issue is not an issue. I have a lot of experience with animals over the years, and only once or twice have I ever felt afraid of an animal, especially a dog. I'm going to use dogs as an example. But in those particular situations, you just don't know what the dog's history is and what their particular triggers are. So it's important to keep safety in mind. Yes, it is. The other story I'll share with you, it came to my mind when you were talking about that peaceful home environment for the animal. Yeah, I don't know too many people who have cats in their lives that relish the idea of trying to put the cat in the cat carrier <laughs> to bring them to the vet or somewhere. So yeah, full confession here, lots of confessions today. 
I love cats, but it's more like the idea of a cat. I've never had a cat. Maybe one day, but don't tell my husband because he's not on board with that. So it's our secret. But I'm fascinated with them. And I had a woman bring a cat to me one time there at the veterinarian's office. And I took the carrier and we went downstairs and I was so excited to meet this cat. And I made a huge mistake. I opened the carrier door and the cat left the carrier, had the whole room to roam and to hide and to jump on the counter to to hide under the chair it was pandemonium and so you could imagine me down there not familiar with cats or how cats behave or anything like that going oh no the the woman's going to be back soon and i don't know what to do so again i went upstairs and i got help sometimes we just need help but i learned my lesson i look back on those times and uh i just just have to shake my head and, and chuckle, learning the whole, whole time. Exactly. Yes. With cats, you really have to meet them where they are, literally and figuratively. I've had many, many cats over the years. When you just mentioned getting a cat into a carrier, <laughs> I laughed out loud because I can still remember trying to get our cats. They looked like cartoon cats because you'd pick them up to put them in the carrier and they would make their bodies go completely vertical and spread all four of their legs and just block the door. So you're trying to shove them into this carrier and nothing's happening. And meanwhile, it's spitting and hissing. <laughs> so as a cat mom from time to time, there was a time when we had 12 cats. Oh we have a gosh. lot of experience with them. I can relate to the cat moms out there who want to have something for their cat, like a Reiki session, but don't want to put that cat in a carrier. Oh, please don't make me do that. <laughs> I know it's like what are you willing what are you willing to give up in order to get your cat there when you were talking and you were describing the cat contorting and I just had this image of you with your hair standing on end and you're like Ugh. pretty much and can you imagine somebody coming in for reiki and they're doing that and they say get in there you're going for reiki so relaxing so relaxing oh, oh so relaxing I'm a huge fan of distance Reiki, of course, for people and for animals, for some of the reasons that we've outlined. And even the point that you made about the energy, that you have a separation. And I touched on that when I was talking about making house calls. But we see that with people. If a person comes into your space for Reiki. We're thinking of other things. We're distracted. We're in their energy. And we talked about that on a previous episode about distance Reiki for people. I think that episode and what we brought up there applies to animal Reiki as well. Absolutely. And on that topic, as far as that distance providing a buffer between the animal and the practitioner, mm -hmm. that becomes even more important when the animal is very ill. In some cases, working through a terminal illness. If I was working with that animal in person, I, I know that I would not be able to hold it together emotionally enough to channel the Reiki properly and for the best benefit of the animal. And unfortunately, a lot of the animals that I work with 
are ill. And many times the pet parent will schedule a session because of an illness. Often that's a terminal illness. I recently had a a cat and I knew the cat was terminally ill. So I went into it with, okay, we're just going to do what we need to do. Obviously, Reiki's going to give this cat exactly what he needs. And it did. And honestly, the cat regained much of his, I guess, fighting spirit during the times he had Reiki. This cat was very confident, (laughs) a little cocky, a little ornery, all those things. And he regained so much of that personality during the time he had Reiki. And his parent was so happy about that. He was a handful, there was no question. But because he was so ill, she was really happy to have that handful again, you know, just to see that personality emerge with Reiki. Reiki let him experience his well personality for almost up until the very last day of his life. And then when he was ready, he told me he was ready. In the last session I had with him, I could tell, I could tell the energy was different. He was tired. He just wanted to sleep. And he said to me, I'm ready. He'd been hanging on for his parent. He knew that she would be devastated when he transitioned. And she was as we all are when we lose a pet. So he was hanging on, but then he realized that it was time. I sort of knew, and when she told me about three or four days later that he had passed, I was very sad. I always cry. That's all part of working with animals and Reiki, because I would say, for me at least, in my experience, at least half of them come to me with a serious illness that can result in them passing. I don't know what your experience is with that, Andrea, but I'd love to know. Yeah, it's a difficult subject. We have relationships with animals in a whole different way than we do with people. And they are so special to us. And one of the words that you used a moment ago was buffer. And that resonated with me. So I'd like to talk about that just for a moment. Animals often are shock absorbers or buffers for the emotions of their people. Animals do this for us. They are very much healers themselves. They are in the moment. They are connected to the earth in ways that we've largely forgotten as humans. And they have an awareness and intelligence and a heart. They want to help us. When we can recognize that, I think it helps us have a more balanced relationship with our animals. Because I have seen that some people who have animals in their homes see it more as a one-way street, that the animal is there for them or there for the family, and they provide this. And it's about food, water, a pet now and again, but the animals there to kind of accent or complement the family. And what I would invite any listeners out there who are open to it, really begin to look at the animals that you know as the intelligent beings, the plugged in and caring beings that they really are. Because if we have anxiety or some other thing that is bothering us, the animals in the household, I'm telling you, will try to help. 
And largely what happens is the animal takes that on themselves, like siphoning that energy from you and they take it on themselves. And if we can honor that, see that, I think we become more in tune with perhaps creating a more balanced relationship with our animals. Maybe that will help us take more responsibility for our own self-care so that if we're anxious, we take action instead of perhaps unknowingly allow our animals to try to heal us themselves. Wonderful. I'm so, so glad you talked about that. That is it's such a beautiful thing to remember that animals do take on our emotions as a way to help us deal with them. And I'm going to share my story of my little dog. I don't think I would have come through the past two years as well as I have without her companionship. She has taken on so much of my anxiety and my sadness and my fear because of the times in which we live. There are fearful times and anxious times for everyone. And she has taken on so much of that. And I know that. So what I have done to help her is, surprise, I give her a lot of Reiki. <laughs> she gets so much Reiki because uh -huh. she's an anxious little girl. She really is. And I think she's anxious just by nature, but even more so in the past couple of years. I know it's because she's been picking up and kind of absorbing some of the feelings that we, especially me, because she's very, very bonded to me, have experienced. So I give her a lot of Reiki. In fact, to the point where when I'm working with an animal via distance, she's often my surrogate. And she loves it. So Goldie is my Reiki surrogate. She loves it. She'll lay down and she will even let me place crystals on her. <laughs> occasionally, not every time. Sometimes she gets up and shakes and looks at me like, really? You know, but a lot of times she will let me do it. And it's wonderful. So she gets so much Reiki before I go to bed at night and she's in her crate. I channel Reiki to her and say a prayer. She gets it in the morning. She gets it all day. So what you said is such a beautiful thing to remember. Being aware of how much they do for us beyond just being an accoutrement or an add-on to the family can really help to balance out that relationship. Goldie is super lucky to have you as a mom. That's for sure. She just hit the gold mine there. So Goldie and the gold mine, I guess. But <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I want to explain, too, that this knowing, this awareness that I came to when I was seeing animals really exclusively at the beginning, again, I was inexperienced and I started learning as I went along, right? We talked about that earlier. And when I started noticing this about how the animal was taking on the energy, the issues of the parent, I started to see very obviously this pattern. The pet parent would look at their dog, look at their cat and say, wow, you're really acting up. You're misbehaving. There's a problem with you. And so then they would bring their animal to me. 
fix my animal. We love her, but she's misbehaving now. We can't have this and please help her fix herself, right? Right. And what I found was the root of the problem was with the people because the animal had taken on that energy. I was kind of in a quandary about that. I'm finding the root of the problem is actually with you. Now, through Reiki, through communication, we can make progress for sure. But it really bothered me that I had this limitation Mm -hmm. because what was my place there? How would I address that with the person? And that was a little bit troublesome for me. Do you have some thoughts on that, Kathleen? I've noticed the same thing. Over the years, I've been able to realize sometimes it has to do with the animal's history or simple genetics, you know, Mm -hmm. the luck of the draw, if you will. But there are those times when the animal's misbehavior can be directly traced back to the human. And it is sticky because the human didn't ask you to analyze them (laughs) or to tell them their shortcomings, right? Um, You were there to fix their animal, which is always an interesting thing because, as you know, we really can't fix anyone. (laughs) But that's what they expect. It, It is difficult. So I have found a way around that. And I don't know how valid it is, but it it does work for me. A lot of times I will get the information from the animal, of course, during the session. When I do my report, I will phrase it in those terms, like Fluffy is concerned that you are raising your voice and it is frightening for her, that kind of thing. I try to be as diplomatic with it as possible. I do it in those terms. It almost sounds like I'm blaming it on the dog. (laughs) Fluffy said, it was all Fluffy's fault. (laughs) But I mean, (laughs) that's where it's coming from. So I like to let the person know that that's what's happening. So far, that has been very well received. I have not gotten any pushback on that. Uh, Maybe because it takes everybody by surprise. I don't know. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I I love that because that's what I would do as well. Um, You know, make it more about they love you. They're caring for you. They're trying to help you. And they're absorbing some of the anxiety that's going on. Right. It isn't about finger pointing or anything. And I think when we speak truth, it resonates with them. What else? Right. Can they do? Right. When it resonates and they know it's true, there's no denying it. I'll share a quick story about that. This is the first time that I was really worried about what I was going to tell this woman when she came back for a cat. She brought the cat to me because she said she had a husband and a daughter in the house and things used to be great, but now the cat would not pay any attention to the husband or the daughter. And so the woman brought the cat to me and she's telling me this. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, okay, what am I going to do about that? You know, which is kind of what we think about as Reiki practitioners. But, you know, Reiki does what Reiki does and things tend to work out. But in the session with the cat who did stay in his carrier, by the way, for that session, (laughs) I learned from the cat that 
there was fighting in the house. And I heard and saw a door slamming and it wasn't pretty. And the cat relayed to me, it was the husband and daughter that were really arguing and fighting with each other. Mm -hmm. And do you know why that cat was acting that way? The cat conveyed to me that he believed that if he paid any attention to those two, it would be validating to them because he felt like their behavior was so petty and (laughs) ridiculous that he was not going to give any attention to that at all because he felt it would validate them and how they were behaving. So I learned this in the session and I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, what do I tell this woman? Number one, do I even trust my intuition? Do I trust this? I mean, it sounds kind of crazy, In the end, I just decided I had to go with what came through, put myself out on a limb, and do you know what? I said it as diplomatically as I possibly could, and she said, oh my gosh, that's exactly what's happening at our home. And I was so relieved, but we sometimes have to talk very carefully about some pretty sensitive things. But as practitioners, that's, you know, par for the course. Boy, that's the truth. And I've often said it's not so much what you say, it's about the delivery. You can say Mm -hmm. quite a bit that might be sort of edgy, but it depends on how it's delivered. And so that's why I really try to work on my delivery for situations like this, because I'm certainly not pointing fingers. As you said earlier, that's not my intent at all. But I'm merely trying to explain where this information came from. And I'm not saying, well, it's my opinion that no, it's actually Fluffy's opinion. Fluffy lives there. I don't. And I think that's important that they hear that. And as I said, I have not received any pushback on that. And I think part of it is because if you have a pet and you take that pet for Reiki, you're clearly invested in that animal because this is not something that someone who owns a pet will do. Am I right? Mm -hmm. This is someone who's clearly invested in this animal and wants to do everything possible to benefit the animal and make its life better, whatever that may be. So I think those kinds of parents, pet parents, humans, are going to be far more open to receiving information that may be a little painful to hear than someone who simply owns an animal. I think that's what it's all about. And because I've had to deliver some rather tough information over the years and never received any pushback. And I think it's because the people are so invested in wanting to do the right thing for their animals. Right. I've mentioned earlier in the episode and throughout that they are our teachers. And so often people will go out of their way to get care and treatment and whatever their animal needs. And they don't think twice about it, but yet they're reluctant to do those same sort of nurturing, helpful practices for themselves. So what I've seen through the years is that the animals will often lead their person on a journey for their healing, for their own self-discovery, for their own awakening. I'm telling you, there are no accidents. Every time an animal 
has a Reiki session, that person is involved. That person is part of it. One of the reasons I shifted away from exclusively animals in the beginning was it was really that often the roots of the issue are with the people. And so by helping the people, there's a ripple effect there in the household and the animal benefits in that way. Another thing is back in the day, I, as I said, had human Reiki training and I applied that to my animal sessions. But then I started to feel a little bit limited because of the people needing it. And so I transitioned out of that. What I have to say, too, is, you know, nowadays I'm teaching animal Reiki and I'm so thrilled because I had never taught animal Reiki before. I never felt comfortable with reconciling that about the issue with the humans. But now it's a newer curriculum. It's put out by the International Center for Reiki Training. It actually addresses the humans and the animals together. That spoke to my heart because that is, through my own experience, what really needed to happen is this communion between animal and human healing, this partnership, because a relationship between a human and their animal is a partnership. There's caregiving actually on both sides. It makes sense to do these sessions in a more holistic way way. I'm so excited about this animal Reiki curriculum that's been put out. I started teaching the classes, and the feedback is really unique and wonderful. The energy is very grounded, very inclusive, and there's a feeling about connectedness. The earth, the animal kingdom, and humans are part of the divine animal kingdom. And when we address all the creatures together, I think the outcome and the experience is just on a whole nother level. Exactly. And when you were speaking, I was thinking the word connected came into my mind. And then immediately after that, oneness. We are all one. And we hear that a lot. We are all one. And I think many of us think of that in human terms, like all people are one. But No, it's far more than that. So having that piece in the curriculum where it's a reciprocal relationship, it's a symbiotic relationship when it's healthy, and that just really enhances that oneness that exists, whether we realize it or not, that exists among humans, animals, plants, insects, all the kingdoms of earth and everything about it. I think this is a really good way to begin experiencing that oneness is by realizing that our animals are as much caregivers for us as we are for them. But at the end of the day, we have to let them be caregivers for us and then take care of them accordingly. So it's a back and forth reciprocal, ever shifting relationship. There are times when they need our care more than we need theirs. And then there are times when it's reversed. And we go and shift with the flow Mm -hmm. and keep that symbiotic relationship alive and well. And we all benefit from that, all of us. We certainly do, Kathleen. You had asked me a question a while back, and I've talked about everything but 
answering your question. Let me go ahead and address that. Okay. (laughs) You were talking about the cat that passed away, and you had asked about my experience with that kind of thing, I, I believe was the question. First of all, I have to wholeheartedly agree with you. The animals in our lives will suffer. They will choose suffering if it means that it may help us emotionally. Very often, I have seen animals that will hang on and suffer because their person is not ready to let go. One thing I want to point out is one of the largest, biggest, heartfelt gifts that you can give an animal in your life is releasing them to the cycle of life and knowing that when the time comes for them to go, if we can release them and do so just in a loving way, it is a gift for them to allow them to transition when the time is right and most appropriate for them. I know it's hard. It is one of the hardest things that we ever do as animal lovers, but it is a gift to let them go. Oh, there's no question. And I've had these conversations with more human parents than I can remember. Want them, they don't want them to go. They don't want them to go, which I get. I've had to say goodbye to so many animals over the years. And honestly, it never gets any easier. I think it gets harder because that cumulative feeling of, oh my goodness, here we go again. Now, I know, and I'm sure you agree, Andrea, that we know that they're not really gone. Their physical self is, but they're not really gone. But you still miss their physical presence. Of course, you miss their physical presence. Mm -hmm. And there's a grieving process, and it's painful, so very painful. But you're right. It's the best gift we can give them, that when the time comes, giving them permission to go when the time is right for them, not when we want it, but when it's right for them. Kathleen, if you don't mind, I'd like to share what came through in a session with a dog who had been diagnosed with metastatic cancer. And of course, her person was devastated. It was agreed that I would offer Reiki to this dog who we'll call Daisy. And here is what came through. Daisy wasn't excited to receive Reiki. Remember that permission again, right? She wasn't excited to receive Reiki because she is not in need of it from her perspective. Instead, I was guided to relay these thoughts. Daisy came here to teach, and her mission here is largely complete, and this is a wonderful accomplishment to her. Although people are sad, or feeling any number of emotions, Daisy feels good and satisfied in many ways. Her consciousness is well beyond her physical body, and she has inspired immeasurable joy in this life. There is also rejoicing in the spiritual realm for her and all she has accomplished in her short life here. She has lived a brilliant life from her perspective and has much love for those who have cared for her all along her journey. She smiles and wants her people to remember all those times of smiles when she is no longer present with them. Sadness is not an acceptable way to be for too long. She will fly when the time comes and feels joy about it. 
and in this way she will continue to teach all who know her, love her, and listen to her life as the song she knows it to be, a beautiful song of love and peace and joy. That's so beautiful. That's absolutely lovely. It really is. I'm so glad you shared that with us. I wanted to share it because I think we often see their passing as so difficult. Mm -hmm. But animals that I have worked with through the years, they do not fear death. No, they don't. They see death very differently than we do. And it's really just a natural progression of life. Right. And they do remain in spirit. They have that energy. And so like people, they no longer are in the physical, but that energy does live on. It does. It does. And they definitely see it very differently than we do. They know way before we know when they will be transitioning. They seem to have a sense about it. They just, they know when it's their time. And I have yet to work with an animal that meets that time with fear. There is no fear. It's acceptance. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I get a very strong sense of relief. And honestly, just like, oh, just relief, letting go, acceptance. I have been with my animals many times when they've transitioned. And I'm always giving them Reiki when they transition, of course. I never get a sense of fear. Fear is not present. Not at all. And we can learn a lesson from them. I know we've said several times how animals are teachers. Oh my goodness. They can teach us so much about death and dying. Death is merely a door into another type of existence. And the animals know this. <laughs> Yet we humans tend to resist yes. that. You know, we're like, oh no, no, no. It's you know, it's something to be avoided at all right. costs. But it's just the next step in the cycle of life, as you said, it really is. So I think we need to start paying more attention to the animals. We could learn a lot from them. Well, we could. And I've often thought of death as the opposite. Like you said, it's like a doorway or a passageway. And to go a bit further with that, it's like a birth, a birth into the next experience, just as we have a birth into the physical experience, into this life that we know. It's just we're less familiar with the life afterwards. Right. Right. Absolutely. So I think it's uh, really important for our listeners to hear that and take heed because, again, with our shared experiences working with animals and the years we've had working with them, neither you nor I have ever experienced any kind of fear on their part when they are faced with an illness or certain death, they know it's coming and they're okay with it. But as you said earlier, and not to put too fine a point on it, but you're so right that they continue to hang on and suffer if they sense that the person is going to be too devastated. And I think it's important to let our animals know when they're ill that it's okay to go when the time is right for them. Instead of doing all these like superhuman efforts to prolong their lives, you know, maybe for a week or so, but they're still suffering terribly. And I don't think the animals want that. I know they don't. That's what they tell me. They just do it because the human wants it, not because they do. Right, so, right. Something to keep in mind. 
And I wonder if we can get into a little bit of the communication, the tips that we talked about at the beginning of the episode that we might share with people about bettering their relationships with their animals. I can start off with one, and that is getting rid of the poor thing energy. (laughs) I've told this to so many clients because when I meet with them about their animals, I get the sob story so often about how Fluffy, we just keep using the name Fluffy, but poor Fluffy, but how Fluffy was at the shelter and had this horrible, abusive existence before they swooped in and saved Fluffy from an uncertain future. What I have found over and over is that when the animal's caretaker just keeps replaying that story. I mean, and we probably all know this. Maybe we've done this ourselves, you know, quite frankly. But what we do is we keep telling that same sad story that was the animal's reality years prior. And what we're doing energetically is we've trapped the animal into that identity. And so that energy is working against them all the time. The animal is no longer in that space. The animal is who appears in front of you today. They live in the moment. For us as caretakers to have that, oh, you poor thing energy and be broadcasting that, I hope our listeners can recognize the disservice that does to that animal. And they will continue to have issues from that trauma, from that experience. Why? Because their unknowing, their unaware, loving humans keep defining them in those terms. So if that helps one listener with that, I'll be so pleased. Let go of the poor thing energy, and it's all about now. I love you. We get to live together. I'm so happy that you are in your forever home and that we get to share this life together. You're happy. You're healthy. I love you. That is the energy that really helps the animals in our lives. Yes, absolutely. And I have encountered this poor thing energy, not only with clients, but with one of our animals years ago. It was when I was first starting out with Reiki. And actually, this dog taught me what you just talked about. He was a rescue, as are most of our animals. And he had been horribly abused. I mean, it was... It was just awful. We were a little wary of him at first because he was a very big dog. And we thought, oh boy, is he going to be vicious, you know, aggressive? This dog was the embodiment of joy and happiness and gratitude. It was astonishing. And of all the animals that we've had over the years, and there have been a lot of them, this dog still has the potential to pull at my heartstrings like no other. He was amazing. He was huge, and he was a little intimidating looking, but he was just a big baby, honestly. (laughs) He was such a love. And Uh we would always say, oh, well, this is what happened to him, you know, back in the day. And when I started working with animals around that time, I remember him telling me that, why are you doing that? I'm here now. I'm happy. This is the happiest I've ever been in my life. I have other dogs to play with. I have a big space to run around in. I have humans who love me. I have plenty to eat. Nobody is starving me or tying me up. I'm happy. Be happy for me. And I'm like, oh, 
Yeah, because every time he would hear us talking about this to someone, he would be like, oh, here we go again. He's right back in that terrible environment <laughs> that he's yep. really very willing yep. to put behind him. So the poor yep. thing energy, I inadvertently kept that going. So I think that's an excellent point for our listeners to, if you're doing that, <laughs> stop. <laughs> because the animal lives in the moment yes. and is very happy where it is right now. <laughs> yes, yes. And something else I think that just completely goes right along with that is how we communicate and don't even know it. We have the power to communicate telepathically with our animals. And you might think, oh, I can't do that. Well, here's a newsflash. You already are doing it because what happens is when we speak, we actually form images in our minds. And so think about Kathleen's story, and she's talking all about this dog's horrible past and all the horrible things that the dog endured. Think about this, as she would have been explaining that, I don't mean to pick on you, Kathleen, just as an example, but as she would be explaining that to a person, painting that picture, so to speak, guess what? In our mind, she was having those images. Exactly. That is how our animals communicate with us telepathically. And I'll give you a quick example before we wrap up the episode. And that is imagine that you live in a house and you have a busy street that goes in front of your house. You have a fenced yard and you have a dog you adore. And imagine that you're worried, you have a fear that your dog's going to jump the fence and be hit by a car in the street. That's a fear that you have. That's a worry that you have. So we might feel as though we want to tell the dog, don't jump the fence. That's our natural way of communicating. Don't you jump the fence. Well, guess what? When you say don't jump the fence, you're creating an image in your mind of the dog jumping the fence and then getting hit by the car because that's your big fear. What the dog does is it watches your little movie that you've made in your mind and it sees itself jumping the fence and getting hit by the car and feel the energy in that. Don't jump the fence. Now I want you to shove that to the side and I want you to frame it in a different way. Stay in the yard, be safe. Stay in the yard, you're safe. Something along those lines. What image did you just create in your mind? You saw your wonderful dog, maybe sitting on the grass, and a big fence all around, imagining and feeling that the dog is safe. Mm -hmm. Stay in the yard, you're safe. That's the image that the dog sees. Feel the energy of that. So the dog is seeing the images, the dog is feeling your energy, the worry or the more cozy feelings, the happy feelings of a safe dog. And we are sending messages to our animals all the time, every day. I would invite you to become more aware. They don't understand the word don't. So Correct. flip that around and frame whatever you're communicating in a positive way and put some effort into what pictures you're forming in your mind. And you can even intend to send those pictures to your animal, you know, to work on different behaviors, whether mm -hmm. it be housebreaking or barking or, you know, digging and things like that. There's a lot we can do, even without Reiki or any other training. 
to further our relationship with our animals and be more at peace with each other about how their behavior is and what our expectations are. Thanks for that, Andrea. It's so true because even in psychotherapy, when you're working with human clients, we're always advising clients to reframe things, you know, instead of don't do this, or I can't, or I shouldn't, or those kinds of words, reframe it into something compatible and healthy and uplifting and positive. And it's so important, but we rarely do that when we are interacting with our animals. We are so fearful of them becoming hurt or sick, that we create these images in our minds of all these disasters that can befall them, that we are inadvertently putting that on them and we're creating fear in them. So shifting it, reframing our thoughts around what we want for the animal is a wonderful way to improve your relationship with the animal, for one, and to improve communication with the animal. Now, I'm going to use an example that's ongoing as I speak. And I was waiting until the end of the episode because I wasn't sure how it was going to play out. But I've mentioned my little dog, Goldie. (laughs) It's kind of an ongoing experiment that actually worked out well, so I was afraid to say anything earlier. My little dog, Goldie, who I've said is very bonded to me, normally I put her out of the room in which we record because she has a tendency to bark. We don't want that on the recording. Nobody wants to hear a dog barking for an hour. Today, I received very clear guidance to let her stay in the room because we were talking about animal Reiki. As I speak, she is under my desk, sound asleep, where she has been for the past two hours. Wow. And instead of me saying to her, don't bark, I was thinking, okay, you can stay in here with me. And guess what? You get to enjoy some quiet time with mom. Nice. Quiet time with mom. I love it. And that's exactly what she's doing. Oh, wow. So instead of going, don't you dare bark, I didn't do that. Wow. So it definitely works. And she is sound asleep. (laughs) Yay. It worked. The experiment actually worked. (laughs) What a happy ending to a wonderful episode. And we've talked a lot about different things having to do with animal Reiki, Kathleen. I've just loved it. I think we could just have a whole nother episode. There's so much more to explore in this realm, and the animals deserve it. The animals oh, deserve is. our respect, mm-hmm. our our they admiration. Do. And can you imagine the courage it takes for a little spirit to come to the earth and be an animal? That's to me, takes bravery and courage. And so I'm going to go exactly. hug my little dog, Frida, a little they extra are. hard today because <laughs> I certainly am so grateful for her to come into our lives. Well, Kathleen, I think we better wrap it up for today. I think so, too. And because there is so much that we could talk about with Animal Reiki, we would like to invite you to Send us your questions related to Animal Reiki. You can find us on Facebook at our page, Beyond the Reiki Gateway, or online, beyondthereikigateway.com. If you have a question, please send it in, whether it's about Animal Reiki or some other topic that interests you that you'd like us to discuss. 
Until next time, Kathleen and I say thank you so much for joining us. Goodbye. See you next time. Until we meet again, a final thank you for joining us, and we would certainly invite you to return for another episode as we journey along with you beyond the Reiki Gateway with Kathleen Johnson and Andrea Kennedy.